Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. We're going to wrap up the series on the book of Acts today. Look at the last two chapters, chapter 27 and chapter 28. Before we jump into that, let's take a minute. Just invite the Lord to speak to us one more time. Close your eyes, just in your own words. Begin to tell God you want to hear from him. Lord, I want to hear your voice today. Speak to me. Father, we ask for a spirit of revelation and understanding. Would you open our eyes, open our ears. Bless us, Father. Bless us with eyes to see and ears to hear. Hearts that are like good soil, that your word wouldn't be snatched away from us or choked out by the cares of life. God, that our lives would produce a harvest. We'd be good stewards of your word. Holy Spirit, come and teach us. Reveal things to us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You can turn your Bible to Acts chapter 27. While you're on your way there, you might remember as we've gone through these last handful of chapters, Paul had been on his way to Jerusalem. He was being warned by the Holy Spirit and other people, when you get there, you're going to get imprisoned. It's not going to go well. He arrives in Jerusalem, sure enough, just like the Holy Spirit told him. He's imprisoned. He's, he's taken captive. Uh, he stands trial before the Jews in the Sanhedrin or the high council, Jewish high council. Then he's transferred to go to stand before the Roman governor in Caesarea, Felix, and then he stands trial before Festus. Then he gives testimony before King Agrippa. In that process, he has appealed his case to Caesar in Rome. He's a Roman citizen. He's able to do that. So now he's been sent to Rome where Jesus said, you'll bear witness, not just here in Jerusalem, but also in Rome. So it's playing out just the way the Lord told him. Now he's on a boat on his way to Rome. That's where we'll pick it up. Acts chapter 27, we're going to read a lot of this chapter, a lot of scripture. Don't let me lose you, then we'll come back and make some application. Acts chapter 27, starting in verse 7. It says, we had traveled several days of slow sailing, and after great difficulty, we finally neared Canitus, but the wind was against us, so we called across. So we sailed across to Crete and along the sheltered coast of the island, past the Cape of Salmon. We, we struggled, totally lost my place. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived at Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was so late in the fall and Paul spoke to the ship officers about it. Men, he said, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. So we'll, we'll keep reading. But Paul, Paul tries to give a warning. Hey, it's too late in the year. The weather has turned. I don't think it's going to go well for us. We should stay here and wait until, until next year, wait until springtime. But they wouldn't listen to him. And what he said, I, here's what I feel is going to happen. That wasn't just him speaking out of fear. God was revealing to him. He's speaking by the Holy Spirit, predicting the very things that were going to happen. But they decided not to listen to him. Pick it up in verse 13. 
It says, when a light wind began blowing from the south. The New King James says, when a, a soft wind, when a gentle wind began to blow. The sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly and a wind of typhoon strength called a northeaster burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed along sheltered side of a small island named Cauda, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. Then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across to the sandbars of Sirtis off the African coast. So they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last, until at last, all hope was gone. So they, they rejected what Paul had said. A gentle wind starts to blow, a soft wind. They think, well, you know what? We can do this. We can make it on our own. So they, they, they go and do things their own way. It wasn't very long till this crazy storm comes. They're getting tossed all over the place. They're completely helpless. They're doing everything they know to do. They can't turn the ship. They're putting ropes around the hull to try to preserve the ship. They're throwing cargo overboard. They're throwing gear overboard. They, they, they've done everything they know to do. It says the, st the stars, you can't see the stars. There's no way to orient themselves. You can't see the sun. And it says at last, all hope, all hope was gone. Verse 21, it says, no one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. It's the very thing he, he warned him was gonna happen. But take courage, none of you will lose your lives even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God, it will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked. We will be shipwrecked on an island. So now, now after they've gotten themselves in the middle of this mess, now they're willing to listen to Paul and they're going to listen to what he says from this point on. When there was a gentle breeze blowing, when things were nice, when conditions were peaceful and calm, they thought they could do it on their own. And it took them being in the middle of a storm, having suffered great loss. They feel like their lives are endangered. They're out of control. They can't turn the ship. It took them being in that kind of position to be willing to listen to what God was saying through Paul. 
unfortunately, that's the way people operate sometimes. They, they, they won't listen to God when conditions are pleasant. It takes doing things your own way and getting yourself in the midst of a mess, causing a storm in your life, suffering great loss before you get yourself to a point where you're willing to listen to the Lord. There's other examples in the Bible about this pattern. Jonah. Jonah was given instruction by the Lord and he rebelled. He was going to do it his own way. Ended up in a storm, tossed overboard, swallowed by a, a fish in that belly for three three days, vomited up on shore. You know, it wasn't even in the storm that he said, God, okay, I'll listen. It wasn't even when they threw him overboard, when he'd been swallowed by a fish. It was when he was in a fish's belly where he finally said, you know what, Lord, maybe my way doesn't work. You, you know, thank God for rock bottom conversions. Thank God for his mercy in those moments. I, I had a rock bottom conversion. Some of you, it took us suffering a lot of pain before we finally said, you know what? My way does, doesn't work. But you know, Jonah could have ended up going to Nineveh and carrying out the will of God and bypassed all of that nonsense if he would have just obeyed. Well, we want to be the kind of people that it doesn't take a storm to get us to yield to the leading of, of the Lord and to submit to his word. Because sometimes even people will experience the storm and once God brings calm, once they repent and begin to follow his, his ways, once things calm down again, then they go back to doing things their own way. You, you remember what it was like around 9-11? No, because you're too young, right? Okay, some of us, some of us weren't children during 9-11. If you remember what that was like, it was like all of the sudden, God bless America. It was, it was everywhere, public places, schools. There was things about God. You had congressmen and women singing together, God bless America, talking about we need to pray and, and call on, on the Lord. Those people didn't talk like that before. It took tragedy and pain and loss. And in the, in the midst of chaos and hurt like that, people begin to call on the name of the Lord and direct their attention. But it wasn't very long when things, things started to, the, the fear was gone. It looks like maybe we're going to be okay. The, the God bless America signs come down. They stop talking like that. And they start thinking we can do this on, on our own again. We don't want to be those kinds of people that it takes a lot of pain to get us to submit. And as long as things are good, we're going to do things our own way. We see it in the church, unfortunately, more frequently than we'd like to. Where someone's life is a mess, they decided, you know what, I'm going to come to church and get my life straightened out. And God is faithful and merciful, brings the marriage back together, heals them of whatever they're going through, sets them free, and life becomes calm and peaceful And once it's peaceful, then they start thinking, I can do this on my own again. And right, right back out... Again, thank God for his mercy and how he'll rescue us, even if we've made a mess of things through our own stupidity and selfishness. But let's not be people that it takes that for us to understand our way is foolishness and his way is better. Maybe that's what it's been like in the past, but from this point forward, we don't have to taste our own foolishness to know it's foolishness. Amen? We can just know from a distance, if I do my own thing, it's not going to work out. I'm going to stir up a storm in my life. I'm just going to submit to God right off right off the bat because God's looking to help you and to bless you not to harm you he, Paul said you should have listened to me in the first place we could we could have avoided all this think about the things you could avoid in the future if you just submit yourself to the Lord so an angel appears to Paul verse 24 he's telling them about this verse 24 says and he said and he said don't be afraid Paul 
for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness, the New, New King James says, God is merciful in his mercy, has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. God says, listen, I told you, you're gonna go stand before Caesar. You're getting to Rome. Don't, you don't, don't worry about it. But what's more, the angel said, God in his mercy, God in his goodness has granted safety to the people that were with that are with you. Everyone in the boat's going to be safe because Paul's, Paul's in the boat. You know, those sailors were blessed to have Paul with them. People are blessed just to have you around. Do you know that? You, you should know that you are a blessing to the people around you. You need to know that, what you carry on the inside. You can see it throughout the Bible. The people of God carry a blessing that other people just get the residual blessing off of. Your family, if your family doesn't know the Lord, they're blessed because you're in that household. The people in your workplace, they are blessed because you're there. This community is blessed because we are here. We're salt and light. We're salt and light to the community. We're salt and light to the people around us that they benefit from us being here. You can see it in the Old Testament as an example. This is before we can even carry the Holy Spirit like we can now. In, in Genesis 17, 18, and 19, when Lot was living in Sodom and Gomorrah, remember the story of how Abraham kind of bartered with God and said, hey, for this many righteous people, would you spare the city? He got them down to 10 righteous people, which they couldn't find. But if there would have been 10 righteous people living in that filthy, wicked city, God, God would have spared. Those people would have been blessed as a residual effect of having righteous men and women living, living in their city. As wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah was, you, if you've read the story, I mean, they, they were wicked people. When angels came to visit Lot, they stormed his house and said, throw out those men so that we can rape them. That, that's the kind of city this was. God would have spared those people if there would have been 10 righteous. Lot was considered like the righteous guy in town. That's why, do you remember his solution to the problem? He's like, hey, I've got some daughters I can throw out and kind of hold them on. That's the righteous, the righteous guy of town. That's the level he was at. He was ready to throw out his daughters to, to the crowd. A town that wicked and corrupt, God would have spared. They would have been blessed if you could have had just a handful of righteous men and women all, all through the Old Testament. Laban was blessed because Jacob was working with, with his animals. Egypt was blessed because Joseph, a man of God who heard from the Lord, was calling the shots. This community is blessed, should be blessed, because there's people of God here. It's important that the people of God know what a blessing they are and the blessing that they carry. You can even understand a pre-tribulation rapture by, by this passage, that people are blessed because the body of Christ is here, that we carry something on the inside of us that keeps the enemy from being able to do what it wants. Listen to what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, it says, for the mystery, it's talking about the Antichrist, the Antichrist spirit and the rise of the Antichrist. It says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. It's talking about the Antichrist, even though there's an Antichrist spirit. The Antichrist won't rise to power until whoever this is that's restraining is taken out of the way. The, what he's talking about, the one that is restraining is the body of Christ. It's the church. It's you and I. And people that don't, do, they disagree with that and say, no, it's a he. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Have it your way. But what we talked about last week, Jesus said, when he sent the Holy Spirit, he said, he will dwell with you how long? 
until the Antichrist? No, he will, he, I send, I'm sending him to abide with you forever. He'll never leave. He'll never forsake. So if you say it's the Holy Spirit, okay, when he's out of here, we're out of here because we're abiding together. We're abiding together forever. That, that's important to understand because when you understand what you carry on the inside, if we're able to hold the Antichrist himself back from manifestation, you've got something on the inside that you don't want to just carry passively, but begin to exercise that power and that authority on your behalf, on your family's behalf, and on other people's behalf. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in this world to know it, to believe it, and to walk in it. In Romans chapter 12, it talks about us all having gifts. And one of the things is it talks about the gifts that you have on the inside of you is that you use them in proportion to your faith. So I'm not talking about this so we can pat ourselves on the back and go around telling people, I hope you know how blessed you are to have me here so that we can grow in that blessing. Because every gift that we have, it grows by our faith. It grows by our, I am a blessing. Greater is, I carry something on the inside of me that is so sweet and so powerful and so special that I'm able just to carry residual, if there's just a residual accidental blessing, what happens if we start becoming very intentional about the blessing? Instead of just kind of spilling on people, which is wonderful that it happens, we start directing it to people, to, to set people free, to get, bring them into the kingdom of God. You are a blessing. You need to know it and you need to start proactively walking with an awareness. Man, man, these people are blessed that I'm here. Thank God he brought me here. Those people in that park Friday night were blessed. Why? Because it was a beautiful day. Not just that, because people of God decide we're going to the park together and we're going to bless them. We're going to cook them food. We're going, to, we're going to show them the love of God. We're going to tell them the good news about Jesus. They're blessed because of that. You and I are a blessing. And again, that's not, we're not singing our praises. We're singing his praises, that he's on the inside of us. He has made you a blessing. So you've got to be blessed, but he wants that blessing not just to rest on you. That's, that's what we talked about. It's just a principle in the kingdom of God, to be blessed and then move beyond that and be a blessing. Too blessed. Too blessed to hold it in. So the Holy Spirit, you're blessed when you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's too much for you to hold in. It becomes a river flowing out of you for others to, to be blessed. Verse 27. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the sea of Adria, the sailors sensed the land was near. They dropped a weighted line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officers and the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboats and let them drift away. So they're, they're still continuing to drift. Now they're moving towards the shore. Their lives are in danger. Really their only hope at this point is these lifeboats. But Paul says, no, no, no. We stay together or everyone dies. It'd be nice to throw out those kind of threats. We do what I say or everyone dies. All right, well, we'll do, what you, we'll do what you say then. 
So that, that's, the, that's the last hope. The, the sailors are trying to be sneaky. We're, we're just letting out anchors over here. That's all we're doing. When really they're, they're putting the lifeboats out and Paul catches them and doesn't let them, doesn't let them do it. Verse 33, it says, just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You've been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God for them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. After eating, the crew... Yeah, good thing there's a comma there, right? After eating the crew... <laughs> after eating... The crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize, the story just took a really weird twist. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and, and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed towards shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land the others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to shore. Chapter 28, verse 1. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Near the shore where we landed, was an estate belonging to Publius. The chief official, kindly, the chief official of the island, he welcomed us and, and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we were showered with honors, and when the time came to sail, we, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. So they end up getting on shore safely. It's this island of Malta, building a fire, a snake bites Paul that doesn't hurt him. They go to the governor's house. The governor's dad is sick. He lays hands on him. He's, he's healed. Then all the sick people from the island come. Same thing happens with them. And then it goes on to say, if we read the rest of the chapter, which is the end of the book of Acts, he's there for about three months. Then he finally gets, gets to Rome where he's been headed. He waits for two years to stand trial and he's put on like house arrest where people can come and visit him. And that's the end of the book of Acts. Paul is waiting. He's there for, there for two years. Now, 
Tradition tells us that after two years, he was found innocent and he was set free. And then he traveled around for another five years or so. People pieced together from his, from his letters to the churches what happened and, and when it happened. And then after about five or so years, he ended up back in Rome in prison. But this time he was martyred by Nero and they, they cut off his head. That's, that's church tr- tradition. But as, as we wrap up the book of Acts today and this final kind of narrative story that we're told, There's a lot of amazing things that happen in this story that we could focus on, but if we take a step back and just kind of look at it as a whole, you can see this amazing picture of of really, in essence, the entire Bible being played out, or the story of sin and redemption, that you've got where where the story started is people being given instruction of what to do and what not to do. Here's, Here's what you should do. God speaks and gives them instruction. And then they decide, you know what? A gentle wind is blowing, a soft wind. It seems so pleasant. It seems so pleasing. I think I can do it on my own. I think there's, there's a better way. And so they decide to do things their own way. That, that's like the, the story of the Garden of Eden or the story of a lot of our lives and the way things went. After that, terrible storm. They lose everything. They're in misery. Their lives are at stake. The ship, the ship is going down. This is a story of misery. Then God speaks again. You should have listened to me before, but I'm going to tell you again. I'm going to offer you mercy. Mercy is going to be extended. Then verse 27, it says about midnight on the 14th night, Midnight on the 14th night. Now, I read a commentary that was talking about this that said that that phrase, he's not just giving us, okay, it's been two weeks, it was like super late. The 14th at midnight. To a Jewish reader, right away, they would have picked up that it's it's a picture of the Passover because they were instructed in Exodus chapter 11, Exodus chapter 12, that first Passover, that Passover was to be celebrated on the 14th. The 14th became synonymous. And it says in Exodus chapter 12 that the angel would pass over at midnight. So it's a picture right right in the middle of Passover. What happens a few verses later? Paul takes a piece of bread, holds it up, gives thanks. Let me read it to you. Acts chapter 27, verse 35. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when they had broken it, he began to eat. What's that a picture of? The the communion meal. What what is communion a fulfillment of? The Passover. So there's a picture of Passover in the midst of you disobeyed, God extends mercy. Picture of Passover pointing to the communion meal. A picture of the communion meal. And then what happens? Paul leads these people, gives them a message, and leads them from a sinking ship to solid ground. What what do they go through between the two? They have to pass through water. A picture of baptism. Leave the sinking ship, go through water, get to solid ground. They arrive on solid ground. Uh, A serpent bites him, doesn't harm him. He lays hands on the sick and they recover. It's like it's running perfectly parallel. A picture of the Great Commission in Mark chapter 16. That you're supposed to preach the good news to everyone. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever passes through that water, leaves the sinking ship, will find themselves on on solid ground. Then what happens next? These miraculous signs will follow. You'll, You'll handle serpents. 
serpents. They won't harm you. You'll lay hands on the sick and they, and they will recover. At the end of the book of Acts, we're kind of given this picture. Instead of just repeating the words of Jesus, we're given a picture of what it looks like playing out in someone's life, the, the penalty of sin, the condition that it puts you in, the mercy of God through the broken body of Jesus, what God wants to do in you and in me and through the church, a living out of the great commission, that when the ship is sinking, God wants some people that will tell people his message and lead them off of that ship onto solid ground, to carry his power, to shake off attacks of the enemy, to lay hands on the sick and have them recover. God wants people who take the great commission seriously and live it out in their life, that their life is a display of the power and the love, the desire, the desire of God. Now, who was the great commission to? The great commission wasn't to pastors, wasn't to evangelists. It wasn't just to the original apostles. The great commission is given to believers. These signs will follow those who believe, if you believe, it's, it's talking to every one of us that has decided that we want to follow Jesus, that he wants people that will have it in their heart to proclaim, to proclaim the good news, to inflict pain on the enemy, to bring glory to God, to bring maximum joy to the Lord and maximum pain to the devil. That's what we do when we live out the Great Commission. Do you know the devil has people captive? that God is, is paid for their delivery? He, he's already purchased their freedom, but the enemy has them captive. The, the blood of Jesus, what Jesus accomplished, he paid for people to be free, but they're captive and they're on their way to hell. And he's given the church, he's given us the keys. But sometimes it's like we just wear the keys around, walking by people that, that are captive, that they're bound. We've got the keys, but we don't want to do anything with them. It's too much trouble to go around unlocking people and setting them free. But God, God was desiring people. That's what the end of the book of Acts is. The church was born by the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel starts to spread. And then this picture, an encouragement, Go out and tell people, carry this power and continue to get people, the, the world system, human's way of doing things, doing things your own way. It is a sinking ship and God wants people off that ship and onto solid ground so they can know him forever. That's the desire of God, but he needs people to carry that message and we don't have forever. It's not an open ended day. We'll just do it later, later, later. That's what the enemy tricks people into thinking. You know, there's, there's coming a point in time where the offer is off the table. There's coming a point in time, we're in an age of grace, a season where God's grace has been extended. It's not going to stay that way forever. Besides that, people don't live forever. There's a limited opportunity. You don't live forever. The people around us can meet someone today. They could be dead by the end of the week. I'm not being more, but that, that's just the way that it goes. We've got opportunities to preach the gospel that we've got to capitalize on. When, in Luke chapter four, Jesus has been out in the wilderness. He was baptized. Holy Spirit descends on him, goes out into the wilderness. He's fasting for 40 days. The, the devil tempts him. He comes back in the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes to the synagogue and they hand him a scroll to read. And he read from Isaiah 61. Then he handed it back to them, sat down, said, it's been fulfilled today. What I just read has been fulfilled in your midst. Now, I want to read what he read from Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good, new, good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. <clears throat> 
to proclaim the acceptable year of, of the Lord. And then that's where he stopped. That's not where the prophecy stops. That's where Jesus stopped. And then he sat down and he said, this part, this first part has been fulfilled. The spirit of, of the sovereign God. You know, if you've received the Holy Spirit, that's the same spirit that's on you, in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells, dwells within us. You know, the Holy Spirit hasn't changed his desires. That what he wanted to do in the life of Jesus, that Jesus could say, the, the spirit of God is on me. Why? To preach good news to people. To set people free. To bring healing and deliverance so people don't have to be captive. People don't have to be bound anymore. The Holy Spirit on the inside of you and me still has those same desires and has equipped you for, the very same, for this very same purpose. That's what Jesus said. The Spirit of God comes upon us, a blessing to us. Yes, we talked about that last week. Thank God for his ministry in our lives. But that's not where it's supposed to stop. It's supposed to overflow into the lives of others. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, not to feel neat feelings, not to get chills and goosebumps, be able to do cool tricks when you're in church, but to be a witness to the world, to take the gospel out, to be witnesses of me. In, in ever-expanding territory. That, that's why we've received the power. God wants his spirit operating. He is a powerful God. He's a merciful God. He's a loving God. He's a healing God. He's a miracle-working God. He's a God of more than enough. He's a God of victory. And he wants, that, he wants those characteristics manifest in your life. Just like he's holy and he wants you to be holy. He's holy, he wants you to be holy. He's also victorious and strong, and he wants you victorious and strong. He wants, he wants to manifest himself through you and through me. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings, good news, the gospel to the poor. He has sent me, just like he sent you. But Jesus said the same way the Father sent me, so now I send you. So this, this applies to you. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Your job is to heal brokenhearted people. To proclaim liberty to the captives. You're sent the same way. Your job is to proclaim liberty. And opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of, of the Lord. Then he paused. But you know what the very next line is in this prophecy? To also proclaim the time of God's vengeance. So Jesus read up until that point, sat down. Why? Because that, that part had been fulfilled. That, that part's underway. And then there's a pause of the coming judgment and wrath of God, the day of God's, the day of God's vengeance. That, that's coming. That part, he couldn't say, has been fulfilled, but it will be fulfilled. It's not like the rest of that prophecies. Uh, Isaiah kind of got off the, off the chain here. He's, he's, you know, he's just like totally off track. That's going to be fulfilled, but we've got this temporary pause, and that's the opportunity for us to do what God has called us to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 19, I read this at the park Friday night. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. In Jesus, God was creating a period of time where people don't have to pay for their sins. Jesus paid for their sins. He's not looking to hold people's sins against them. But that period won't go on forever. And we're rapidly approaching the return of Jesus. Jesus is coming back. And people need to hear the good news. And we, you and I, we have been given this wonderful message, 
this wonderful message of reconciliation. It's, it's a wonderful message that he's given us. And sometimes we treat it like a burden to bear. I'm supposed to tell people. It's a wonderful message. What a, he lets us tell people about how much they're loved and how they can spend eternity in the presence of God, that they can live a life of freedom and blessing and knowing, knowing the one who spoke the earth into existence. You get to introduce them. You ever get to introduce someone to someone else who's important? No? All right. We'll just abandon that analogy right there then. You can see where I was headed with it. Turn your Bible to first, first, Isaiah chapter six, chapter 60. Did you get that? Isaiah chapter six. Starting in verse one. Isaiah chapter six. Verse one, it says, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty, mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The angels are, are crying out, holy, holy, holy. The same thing John in the book of Revelation heard the angels crying out around his throne. Just crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Verse four, it says, their voices shook the temple to its foundation and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am. Send me. Just an amazing experience that Isaiah has. He, he sees into the throne room of God. He sees it, these angels flying around, calling out holy. Their voices like thunder. It's shaking the place. He senses the presence of God like, like smoke filling the, the place. He's aware of the goodness, the, the holiness, the majesty of God. And so what does he do in response to it? I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. Now I see what holy, I, I'm not holy. God, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. He begins to confess. In this, in this encounter Isaiah has is a pattern that should take place in our lives. The way that it unfolds, it's a progression. It's a progression that a lot of us have experienced. That if you know Jesus, at one point in time, you became, became aware of the presence of God. You became aware of your need for him. Maybe it was in a service, maybe it was at your house, wherever it was. God dealt with your heart, revealed himself to you. God, I need you. I need saved. I'm a sinful man. 
I'm not a good woman. I need a savior. You had that moment, right? God, forgive me. I mean, I've, I've done terrible things. Lord, I need you to forgive me. That's what he's experiencing. And God responds. He confesses his sins. He confesses how he's inadequate, confesses his shortcomings. And, and an angel comes, touches him with a coal and says, you're forgiven. You're clean. The mercy, the forgiveness of God, how wonderful God is. You're completely set free. You're completely, all of that is gone. It's been purged. You're forgiven and clean. Now, too many people in the church stop the progression right here. They confess their sin. They have an encounter with God. That's wonderful. They experience salvation, forgiveness of sins. That's wonderful. But people pause right there and don't go on to the next part where they hear the heart of God. They hear the desire of God. That God has taken time to hear from us. Lord, forgive me, help me, I need you. He, he hears from us, but people don't often allow themselves to hear from God once their needs are met. Like we talked about earlier, now things are better. Now I can just coast it on in from here. I'm saved, I'm good. But there's something that God is calling out to humanity. Who will go for me? Who will be a messenger? Who, who can I trust? Who will go and tell people what I want them to tell them? That that's the next part to hear from God. That's the progression. We had come aware of God. We repent of our sins. We experience salvation. Then we begin to be sensitive to the voice of God. And we present ourselves. Here I am. Here I am, God. I'll go for you. I'll allow you to use me. I'll allow you to, to, to tell other people your message. That, that's what Isaiah did. It says that God gave him to give a message and he began to speak to the people. You know, a lot of times in the church, we want to feel something. We want to be so overcome with love and compassion. And we're waiting for that moment where we're so overwhelmed, man. It was just like the love of God was a fire in my chest and I couldn't help but tell that waitress, man, something came over me. My heart broke for those people at work. And so I got up and I just started telling them about Jesus. And we're waiting for this powerful force of emotion or whatever to, to drive us to obedience. But something I used to tell the youth students all the time, and I've, I've mentioned it multiple times on Sunday mornings, and it's, it's such a, an important principle. If you will get this, if you'll get this, you can apply it to every part of your life. It'll bless you. It'll bless you in your marriage. It'll, it'll bless you everywhere. Right feelings follow right actions. Right feelings, feeling right, feeling the way you wanna feel, it follows acting right. Right feelings follow right actions because we always want it the other way around, right? We always want to feel a certain way and then we'll behave based on how we feel. Hey, I'm in a good mood. I'm feeling nice. I'll do something nice. You're allowing your feelings to lead you and you're just following them around. Then one day you don't feel good. You're, you're a grump. You're a grouch. You feel lazy. You act lazy. But in reality, it's a Bible principle. I'll show you in just a second. Right feelings follow right actions. If you want to feel right, you need to, to lead those feelings by acting right. In Genesis chapter four, it's the story of Cain and Abel. Abel is offering pleasing sacrifices to the Lord. God was pleased with him because he was offering his very best, but he rejected Cain's, Cain's offerings because he was bringing him less than the best. God doesn't just accept every offering. Some are pleasing to him. Some he says, thanks, but no thanks. And so that, that was upsetting to Cain. And it says in Genesis chapter four, verse six, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door 
and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. He's saying you, you should have dominion. You should be walking in dominion over sin. But if you're not careful, if you don't behave properly, if you don't handle this right, sin is gonna have dominion over, over you. Sin's gonna be able to control you. If, if you don't watch it, you're close to the line. That, that's a New Testament principle as well. In the book of Romans, Paul said, don't you realize the one that you submit yourself to, the one you serve, you become a slave to the one that you serve, it becomes a master to you, either to sin or to righteousness. And so in this passage, God says, why are you so angry? Man, you're so upset, your feelings are bad. He says, why has your countenance fallen? Now, when we talk about countenance, we're talking about emotions, the way that he's feeling, the way he's expressing himself. Why is your countenance down? Why is it low? Why is it not where it should be? He says, if you do well, if you do what's right, that translation said, won't you be accepted? Literally in the Hebrew, there's a play on words going on. Why is your countenance down? If you do what's right, won't it be lifted? That your feelings are down, not where you want them to be. If you do well, then your feelings are gonna be well. Your feelings will adjust after the way that you act. Right feelings follow right behavior, right actions. When it comes to evangelism, you know when I'm, when I'm most excited about evangelism and telling people about Jesus? When I feel the best about it, I'm most excited? It's always right after I've done it. Right after I tell someone about Jesus is when I'm the most excited. If you have other people that have actively gone out in the community, evangelized, led people to the Lord, anyone, anyone can testify. Okay, yeah, thank God there's a few. Yeah, the, when you tell people about Jesus, you might not feel like it at all before. You might have nervous feelings, sad feelings, feelings, uh, you might have no feelings. Then after you do that, the right feelings follow right actions. And sometimes Pentecostal people can be the most feeling-led, fleshly people, most carnal people around because they always want a prompting. They always want a feeling. I want love to move me. I want love to guide me. I just want to follow the moving of love. You know, God has told us to go and tell people the good news. So if you're waiting for love to tell you, the Bible says that God is love. God is love. So love has already prompted you. Love has already told you to go. Love has already given you the instruction. So we got to follow the word of God. Love has already told you, go and tell people the good news. So if you're waiting for a prompt of love, a move of compassion, you're waiting on something like that to go and tell people about Jesus, you've received your prompting, you've received being told by love, go and tell everyone around you about the good news of what Jesus has done on their behalf. Now, obviously, there's promptings that we get from the Holy Spirit, and there's times where we're the Holy Spirit leads us in certain situations. I don't dismiss that at all. But if you've got people that won't respond to the prompting of the word, then a gentle prompting of the Holy Spirit won't even register in their lives. If you look at the word of God and God's word clearly tells you, go and tell people the good news. The, the Bible says it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. If a sharp two-edged sword can't prompt you enough to go, then the gentle voice of the Holy Spirit, you won't even be aware of it. God begins to speak to people by his Holy Spirit and prompt them when he finds people that are obedient to the promptings of the Word of God. If you're going to ignore one, why wouldn't you ignore the other? You've already been told the Great Commission, go and tell every creature the good news. Get them off a sinking ship and onto dry ground. Begin to demonstrate the power of God. Set captives free. Bring people into the kingdom of God. We've already been instructed. Now it's just a matter of being obedient. If you want to feel something, feel obedience. Feel like being obedient. Feel submitted. That's how we should feel. Now, I know 
People think when you start casting something wide like that, it's legalism. Oh, you're being legalistic, I gotta... No. Obedience is not legalism. When you talk about, hey, everyone should obey this instruction, that's not, obedience isn't legalism. And a lot of people will dismiss obedience by throwing the label of legalistic on it and feel like they've got the right just to do it when they feel like it. Obedience is different than legalism. And oftentimes, being non-legalistic, free, you're just being disobedient. You're just disobeying. Attending church, you should attend church. That's being legal. No, it's obedient. Don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. It's not legalistic to be obedient. It's obedient. It's submitted. So if we're looking for feelings, let's feel submitted. Let's feel obedient. Let's feel like, God, you're, you're in charge, and I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.